most people, as you said, they have that wall up. And whether it's you know door to door, in home, or or in a in a business environment where they're coming to you, they're all coming in pretty much with an anti. I'm not going to be sold philosophy. And so my approach to that is to address it and just to start asking great questions, sincere questions, lighting up when I find something that they light up about and trying to connect on that. It, it isn't so much what we have in common as my cowboy philosopher father used to say, find out what melts their butter. And if you can find out what melts their butter, get them talking about it and then be truly interested in that. Even if it's not something you're interested in, but be interested in the fact that they're interested in it. Mm. That I think is the key. And when they see that, they see that you genuinely are interested in their interest, magic starts happening. Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. Through interviews and case studies, I examine how transformational insights have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthrough moments teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is a personal mentor of mine, Blake Maddox. I first met Blake shortly after I started at Solar City. To say he had a strong reputation is putting it lightly. We're talking legendary status. It was clear that he had established himself as a master in the art of building a referral-based business. So much so that he was literally tasked with creating a nationwide training program called Growing Referral Orchards. Blake is a true master at planting referral seeds and his sales story is incredible. On the show, we cover a wide range of topics on effective sales techniques. This includes how to build genuine rapport, how to ask what he calls uncovery questions, how to build credibility, and how to close more business. Blake's approach does not include hard sales tactics or manipulation, but rather focuses on the art of building long-term relationships based on authentic connections with his customers. Along the way, Blake emphasizes the value of finding mastery through practice, why he feels it's so important to have a strong belief system, how he uses visualization, and why having deep knowledge and personality profiles has been so critical to his success. When Blake meets his customers, they don't shake his hand, they give him a hug, and you'll find out why on this show. A lifelong learner, Blake's a student of just about anything he finds interesting, and he'll research it to the point of finding mastery. He's a huge advocate for learning discipline and credits many, many books as his greatest mentors. When it comes to sales, no one has taught me more than Blake, and I'm so excited to share his wisdom on this episode of Inside Out. It is with great pleasure that I get to introduce our guest today. Our guest is Blake Maddox. Blake is somebody that I had the opportunity to meet uh, when we worked together at Solar City. And I, I first heard about Blake Maddox by reputation. When I joined the company, there was somebody that continuously was brought up. His name was continuously brought up time and time again. And the reason his name was brought up is he was well known throughout the company for building a absolutely extraordinary referral business. And upon building that referral business, uh, he generated so much growth for the company that they decided to take his secret sauce and spread that throughout the organization. And so Blake ended up 
really, I'll let him tell the story, but building a huge uh, referral-based business philosophy and training that uh, spread throughout the organization. And so when I uh, met him, I already knew I was going to like him because his reputation was so stellar. And so I'm extremely excited to have him on the show today. And I could tell you right now that I've had a lot of mentors in my life, but there are very few. In fact, I, I don't think I've had a mentor that I could say I've learned as much from as Blake Maddox. And so Blake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Billy. Great to see you. Thanks for the kind words, buddy. Absolutely. Well, to, to get started, for those that don't know you, and I know there's probably quite a few people that will listen to this just because they see that you are the guest, but for those that don't know you, um, would love to just hear your story. I obviously know you had years at Marriott. I know obviously your Solar City story and of course our opportunity to work together. We, we have many memories about our experience there, but I would love to hear your story and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you've done. Yeah, it's been quite a wild ride. I've been in the sales game now for, it's hard to believe, going on three decades, man. And um, I, I say that 25 years actually doing sales, but the first five years of my career right out of college, I consider sales as well in that I was a school teacher. I was a high school science teacher and, uh, and coach. I coached basketball and tennis and I learned very early on that that was also sales, right? Getting them to buy in and, and really feel a part of what I was trying to accomplish, getting, the, getting them to believe in my credibility and, and buy into me. But I started out and did that for five years. Looking back at some of the most cherished time of my life was working with youth and I coached a state championship tennis team, which was a lot of fun. We took them over and they were like, you know, the bad news bears. They were 31st out of 32 teams in the state. And over a course of uh, five years, we built a dynasty and had back-to-back state championships. And as a young man, that was, that was a lot of fun. And then eventually I decided to actually earn money for a living. And, um, and went into different various kinds of sales. I did commercial real estate for a, a number of years, real estate development. As you mentioned, I did fractional sales with Marriott and, uh, and the Four Seasons. And then um, my heart was, was really not into it, Billy. I, I was looking for something that meant more to me and, and that was still in the sales realm where I thought I could make a difference. And I really can't tell you why, but uh, probably my science background I got attracted to the idea of renewable energy, and I started uh, first researching hydrogen. Uh, I, I looked at, at uh, I don't even know if you know that about me. We've, you said there's nothing you don't know about me, but uh, this is a new one. I started researching a company that was converting water to hydrogen using, uh, using solar to do it. It was pretty interesting, and that got me interested in the idea that, man, we could power this, this, uh, this country, this planet on clean energy, and that got me excited. My science kicked in, my sales kicked in, and I started pursuing Solar City. And after a year of chasing them, I finally got on board. Man, the rest is history there. I uh, had a great career there, was there for a couple years as Tesla took them over. And like you said, got a lot of satisfaction working with uh, other salespeople, making a difference for the company, but in their lives individually. And that's, uh, that's kind of a, a two-minute synopsis of uh, my sales background. Thanks. Well, first and foremost, again, I can't emphasize enough just what a stellar reputation you built. And it's for good reason. Your ability to connect with others is world class. And taking that and being able to teach it and guide other people to do the same thing has really not only influenced those that are immediately around you, but far wider than probably one would even realize. And so 
when it comes to sales, obviously this is something that is as complex as life because sales is a something that we all do on a daily basis, whether we realize it or not. We're selling ourselves, we're selling ideas, we're selling, of course, products in some cases. But for me, what I gleaned when, when you and I talked is it's something that as we connect with other human beings, it really helps to solidify uh, the relationship. And it's it's a relationship-based approach is the one that you've championed. So m- maybe you could share a little bit about how you came to that realization that it's all about the relationship because this show is all about insights. And I, I'm curious when you had the insight and when you had the aha moment that sales is what it is in, 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 in your viewpoint and maybe walk us through that. Well, it's a big, big subject, right? And I use the word relationship, but one of, and, and I, I'm totally relational sales philosophy. But I think for me, the, the key word is, uh, there's a lot of literature written about this. Is I'm, the books behind me are a few of the many that I've adopted in my life. And I think the key word for me is the word connecting you know, connecting with human beings and you're right, whether it's a spouse or a family member or neighbors and friends or, or church and work, right? It's just the connecting process that builds trust and sincerity and authenticity and, and all the things that people want to feel when they have a relationship, whether it's business relationship or personal relationship. Taking that into the sales realm, in my opinion, is the key to success. So when I first discovered it, I've, as I mentioned, I've, I've sold a lot of different things. I go way back to Philly. I, I, I sold mistletoe as a 10-year-old door-to-door in apartment complexes <laughs> at Christmas time. Uh, my dad would go out and uh, shoot mistletoe down from oak trees with a shotgun. We'd pick up bundles of it, baggy it in bags, and my brother and I would go door-to-door with bags of mistletoe, knocking on the door, two little kids, you know, Christmas time, going... Hi, my name's Blake. This is my brother, Brett. Would you guys like to buy a bag of mistletoe for only 25 cents a bag? <laughs> and, um, you know, literally we'd start out, you know, selling, selling something that we thought uh, we could connect with human beings on. And, and I think I've been selling my whole life. So, but when I first realized it from a professional level, I was selling a very tough product, whether it was at the Four Seasons or whether it was at Marriott, uh, you know, they called it fractional ownership or residence club. The reality is it was a timeshare product, meaning that you're buying a share of real estate, not the whole deeded property. And frankly, timeshare has a really tough reputation. You say the word and it's kind of like a, a lot of people react when you say used car salesman, they, they just kind of cringe. And I was able to sell for a couple great companies, Four Seasons and Marriott doesn't get much better. But nonetheless, even though we were a very affluent customer that was sitting in front of us, there was still a, a, a skepticism and a cynicism about the product as you, as you set to talk to them. And so how do you overcome that? Well, you, you really couldn't overcome it through trying to convince them the product was what they wanted. Uh, instead, it was connecting with them as human beings. And when I learned that connecting and building relationship and finding things not only in common, but truly caring about whatever they're into, that opened a door for me in sales that changed everything. And once that that epiphany hit, I realized, wow, this is the secret. Uh, I began to read more and more about it. There's some fantastic literature out there that has been written for decades about it. And the more I realized that that was the art of sales, 
the better I got and the more excited I got about sharing that secret with others. First of all, you did find something I didn't know about you. I had no idea the mistletoe story. Had no idea that was uh, something that got you started uh, in your sales career. Was that seems like a, that seems like a tough sell. So uh, yeah, you learn something new every day. Okay, so we we. We can both agree that connecting is vital. In fact, it's it's probably the most important thing when it comes to selling is connecting. So how do you connect with somebody? And I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but it's it's got to be real. It's got to be organic and genuine. How do you convey that genuine and authentic caring and curiosity about others? Because let's face it, people often have their guards up. They're often afraid that they're going to be quote unquote sold. How do you make people comfortable and how do you break down those walls and those barriers to allow yourself to truly connect and not just appear to want to connect because you want to sell them something? Well, again, those are, uh, those are really high level, um, high level thoughts. I, I think the, the key is authenticity, Billy, and there's a lot of components that go into it. Everything from um, body positioning to tone of voice to the smile on your face to sincerely getting people to talk about themselves. To me, that is the most important one. As salespeople, we have a tendency to uh, to want to do the selling, right? We want to tell them about our product and show them how smart we are and what an expert we are. And, and all that's important. Uh, I think expertise is one of the most important things. And showing people that you, you, know, you know your product and understand the, the needs uh, that the product can fit and, and the benefits that you can provide, that's all important. But to get there first, most people, as you said, they have that wall up. And whether it's you know, door-to-door or in-home or, or in, a, in a business environment where they're coming to you, they're all coming in pretty much with a, um, uh, an, an anti, I'm not going to be sold philosophy. And so my approach to that is to address it. And just to start asking great questions, sincere questions, lighting up when I find something that they light up about and trying to connect on that. It isn't so much what we have in common, as my cowboy philosopher father used to say, find out what melts their butter. And if you can find out what melts their butter and, and get them talking about it, and then be truly interested in that, even if it's not something you're interested in, but be interested in the fact that they're interested in it. Hmm. That, I think, is the key. And when they see that, they see that you genuinely are interested in their interest, magic starts happening. Right. And that's, that's really what's been, uh, I think, the key to get across, especially the young salespeople that are what I call product pitching all the time. They're just trying to you know, sell the product rather than connecting with the customer. And it's a key distinction that you made. And I think a lot of people fall into this trap of trying to become interested if they're not interested in themselves. But what you're, I think what you're saying is you're interested in in them, in the fact that they're interested. That's so, right. And so it's a genuine curiosity. It's a genuine interest in whatever it is that is, is interesting to them. If I could tell you a quick story about an example that came sure. to mind, we're talking. Um, sure. I, I'm, I'm sitting down with a guy one time and um, he, he and I both had a degree in biology, which was a common area we talked about. And we're talking about how we got into our various businesses and and he just started lighting up talking about how he bought this business from his father. This man was extremely wealthy. And he started telling the story, his father-in-law rather. He got married. His father-in-law was, was uh, going to retire. He built this little business that was doing okay. And it turns out that uh, what he owned was a company that made floor mats. 
like, wow, floor mats. Are you kidding? Um, <laughs> not real interested in floor mats. But he got excited because he said, have you ever walked into a Walmart? Of course you have. A, a Kmart. Yeah, of course. Those industrial mats that are in front of their building. He goes, those are mine. I control a 90% market of industrial business mats. And he got all excited about it. He was telling me about how he took it, to the, took it to, uh, out to the world and got these big companies to buy in. I mean, now, frankly, Billy, I'm not really interested in those mats, but I was um, intrigued beyond words on his excitement and passion about how he took this little company and grew it into this business. So, you know, it, it's the authenticity and sincerity of finding out what melts their butter, what gets them excited, where their passions lie, and then authentically pursuing that and getting them to talk about it. And I think that that is the art of connecting. And if you can do that in a way that's not transparent, it's not obvious that, oh, I'm, I'm trying to warm you up so that you'll buy something from me, but instead drop your guard as a sales guy and just jump into their life and try to find out what makes them tick. And I think that's been the, the thing I've tried to train and I've tried to, to successfully implement in my sales career. What roadblocks have you found in, in training others where they just didn't seem to have the knack to connect? And, and then how did you help them overcome those roadblocks? I, I, um, you have to make a decision, Billy, um, uh, that this is something you're going to adopt first. If, if it's not, again, in your own heart and mind, something that you are going to do as a salesperson, it's pretty hopeless. And so the first step is to get them to see the value of it. I'm a big fan, as I've said before, of books and you know every, everything from um, books that are decades old, like How to Win Friends and Influence People, who hasn't heard of that book. But the content, although you know 70 years old, is as true today as it was 70 years ago. So books like that genre, and there's literally bookshelves of those books. I encourage reading. I encourage listening and audiobooks. And then for me, the best way to train was modeling. Um, I, I would talk about it ad nauseum. I'd get a, a salesperson to go out and do their presentation and, and, and see what they were doing or a manager. And they'd buy into it. They told me, but they weren't buying into it to do it. So we would model and role play, model and role play. And I think the role play and the modeling, role play is tough, as you know, in sales, Billy. But if you can, again, drop your guard and, and authentically go after role play, it can be one of the most powerful teaching tools we have. Yeah, it gives them the muscle memory to understand what it feels like, what it sounds like, gives them the opportunity to experience it as opposed to just hearing how to do it and, and maybe even understanding what you're supposed to do. It's such a different animal to actually do it. So I, I couldn't agree more. So Blake, let me ask you this. I'm a big believer in, in habits and rituals. If you look at athletes, which I know you're a world-class athlete in a, a little known sport of hacky sack, you might want to share that story, but, uh, uh, not uh, anymore. You, you, well, you were well, hacky sack champion. Tell us quickly. The well, hacky I don't know sack. if I was a world champion, Bill. You're not a world champion, but, uh, but at least, uh, hacky sack had just caught fire and, and it was one of those things that kind of caught fire in our campus. And I was uh, at the, uh, Utah State University at the time, and it caught fire there, and it was everywhere. And, and they held a, a state tournament there, and, uh, and I won the singles and doubles in the, the Utah State tournament. Hardly a world champion. The singles and doubles, though. I, it was a lot of fun. I, I kind of became addicted to hacky sack, frisbee, and pizza in college, I think. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're obviously, you, you developed a, a knack for being good at, at, at hacky sack, just like you developed a knack for being great at sales. 
But talk to me a little bit about habits or rituals. You know, you look at athletes that are at the top of their game. There's almost a rhythm to what they do. And I know you're a big believer in the science behind mechanics. And, you're, you know, obviously you have that science background. So you really, you look at the, the science behind it. And I'm, I'm intrigued by this. But, but truthfully, I don't have a ton of knowledge in that, in that space. But, I, but it does intrigue me. Talk to me a little bit about that world. I know you played a fairly high level of uh, baseball, Billy, so you're being modest, but uh, you'll, you'll relate to these, these two concepts. I think there's really two arenas, and, and in coaching, I got to experience this a lot. I got to try different things, and I worked with uh, national-level junior players in tennis, took them around the country, and, and uh, their parents trusted me to take them to uh, uh, national tournaments across the country. So I got to see everyone from a 12-year-old to 18-year-old competitive players. I played collegiately myself. I'm an avid golfer and, and I've played many sports, but I think there's, uh, there's two things. One is the discipline of practice and I love practice. So whether it's sales or uh, that, that goes back to the role play, right? Whether it's sales or sports, I enjoy practicing my craft. And I, and I think embracing practice where it isn't looked as, as drudgery, but rather as the path to success is something that has always been something I've enjoyed. My, my father pounded that into me as a young man, um, really drove me to be a, an avid practicer. And that's the physical side. But equally important, equally important is the, the mental side. And, and that, that's uh, really where my, my interest lies. Uh, in fact, if I ever go on and do any advanced education someday, my goal would be going to back into sports psychology. I think it's an amazing field because uh, there's so many people that have the physical aspect, but they haven't learned how to apply it when it matters and put it into practice. And so everything from visualization to belief, uh, if you don't believe in, in what you're capable of doing and then visualize that you can do it at, at the moment that it counts... Um, all that practice doesn't really mean much. And so for me, uh, yeah, the practice is important, but more important is the belief factor and the visualizing what success looks like. So I do, I'm a real believer in in, uh, visualization in business as well. And then using that visualization power on a daily basis to make my mind be in the right place when I walk into the business world. Visualization is a fascinating topic, one that I, I'm going to dive in. I plan on diving into quite extensively on this show because it really does come down to that law of attraction. If you start thinking about something, you begin to attract it into your life. You begin to make it a real tangible thing, whether, whether that be your approach in sales or hitting a baseball or a golf ball, starting to visualize and think of yourself doing that has tremendous benefits and can impact you in a positive way. My question kind of to piggyback on what you just said is when you're visualizing and when you're, when you're thinking through at what point do you, do you do this in the, in the, in the sales cycle? Is it something that you do, you know, kind of immediately before you meet with a client or a customer? Is it something that you do as you think about your, your practice, your repetitions? When are, when are you doing this and how do you physically do it? Are you closing your eyes? Do you go into a, a, you know, the, a quiet place? Talk to me a little bit about the actual visualization and, and how, you're, how you're doing that. The uh, you know, visualization, there's another process that I, that, that's similar but different, which is affirmation, right? So I'm a believer that daily you should be verbally out loud 
coming up with affirmations that relate to what you're trying to accomplish in your life. And those affirmations can be a, a verbal expression of, I want to be calm and confident and collected, or it could be uh, an affirmation of, I want to accomplish this today. Something that is this tangible and, and that is um, something that you can literally verbalize and then do it enough, it starts becoming you. So that's the affirmation piece. The visualization piece is more instantaneous. Uh, when I'm walking into uh, a presentation, and as you know, Billy, we've done a lot of presentations together. I literally, before I walk into every presentation, close my eyes, visualize a, a group in front of me that is engaged and, and captivated and asking great questions and wants to be sitting there and that I'm going to be dynamic and, again, calm, cool, and collected when I, when I uh, go out in front of that group. And just be able to communicate to them what I know in my heart uh, is meaningful and impactful. And so I'll, I'll do that in a way where I close my eyes and visualize that happening and run through that in my head and literally see it happening before it, I go out and do it. And that's the same whether it's golf, uh, visualizing a shot before you hit it, visualizing a putt that's going to fall. Um, it, again, it's, it's, uh, it's part of the human uh, what makes us unique as humans is that we can actually make what, make what we want to happen happen by thinking about it, believing it, and then achieving it. It's truly magic. Yeah, I think it's a great practice. Blake, one of the things that I think sets you apart from a lot of people is that instant likability factor. You're going to meet somebody and you're automatically going to win them over very quickly, which in sales is crucial. We, we talk about connecting and how, how vital that is to sales success. So first impressions only happen once. And the warm-up period, as we, as we like to call it, or that initial rapport building moment is crucial. Talk to me a little bit about that side of the, the sales process and how you win people over quickly. You talk about how to win, win friends and influence people. Well, clearly one of the, the best ways to do that is to make a phenomenal first impression. There's such simple things. You know, the, I've used the word several times that we chatted today. You've heard me use them for years, but being authentic is, is the first one. Just letting people see that you're a real person, that you're not there to get into their wallet or to push a product on them, that you really are just a, a straightforward person that wants to get to know more about them. Um, a couple little things I, I developed, none of these are my ideas, but just things that I've learned over the years and, and read about what I call the seven, the seven keys to connecting. And many of them are so simple, you know, using people's first names. First names are, are, there's nothing more important than your first name. It's, it's, it's who you are, right? And so I, I, I've never been great at remembering names, but I try to make that something that I do in every connection. Uh, and and even, even if I'm meeting somebody for the first time on a golf course, you know, I, I'm going to use their first name two or three times in the first 10 minutes or five minutes so that it starts becoming something that is a connecting tool. Smiling. Smiling is something we have from birth. As, as, as babies, you know, are you happy because you're smiling or are you smiling because you're happy, right? When you smile, it literally changes the chemicals in your brain and, and uh, you feel better. And so I smile when I'm with people and I may not have the best smile, but I try to light up the room and, and get them to smile. And it's amazing when you when smile to smile creates connection. Again, getting them to talk about themselves and then 
telling them how much you appreciate them. Those would be the kind of the four early keys when you're trying to do warm up. I literally appreciate people that they'll let me into their house. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's the house is their, you know, their private, their private kingdom. And they're going to let me in to talk about selling something. That's, that's really amazing when you get down to it rather than just, you know, oh yeah, I'm going over to do a sales presentation. No, you got a person who's welcoming you into their home. And I want to show them uh, how much I really sincerely appreciate that. And, 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 and more, more often than not, I'm going to try to find something that I can sincerely compliment about their home. So those little things, you know, uh, being appreciative and gracious, complimenting, smiling, great eye contact, um, and, and authenticity, you put those together and package them and you will start seeing human connection form that is, again, uh, the key to getting people to want to have a conversation about the product you're selling. Love it. So, Blake, I mean, I feel like there's so many parts of the sales process that I've learned from you. Not, not that it was a new concept to me, but the art behind it, the science behind it, the thought behind it, the approach. And one of those areas, which I know you and I have had lengthy conversations about, is discovery, which is really kind of sales 101 is understand what the customer wants, understand, understand what they need. So talk to me a little bit about the art of discovery and the art of asking enough questions. So it's not an interrogation, but rather really trying to understand and unearth what is motivating the customer and why they might want to buy whatever product is being presented to them. Yeah, discovery, uh, next to connecting, I think discovery is the sell, right? It's, it's, uh, it's uncovering needs. I, I like to use the phrase discovery is really another word for it is uncovery. It's, it's finding what is important to them and why it's important to them so that then I can see if my product can offer benefits that fill those things that are important to them. And, and I'll share that with the customer that, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you a few questions, but what I'm really trying to understand here is why you're interested in this and why it, why it might be a nice fit and, and why it might be important to you. And I'll pre-frame it so they understand it's not an interrogation, but again, here's the key. I want them to understand the reason I'm doing this is for them. It's got to be almost everything we do in sales has to be about the client, about the customer. And as soon as the customer gets a whiff of it's about me and making a sell, you've heard my phrase, I call it commission breath, right? Um, is if they think it's about me making money, um, that transaction is dead in the water or very tough to recover from. So discovery, the uncovering of their wants, needs, and, and uh, the benefits that will help them, um, that's the art of customizing your product, your sales approach to the customer's needs. Again, none of this is new. You've heard of this before. So I want to make sure the customer knows sincerely and authentically that that's my goal. Because if I can help that customer and they truly believe that my goal is to help them, then they're going to go tell their friends, wow, I worked with this great guy that he was so, so awesome. He just really cared about us. Uh, and, and then they'll share it with others. And that sharing and helping is the key to referral business, which is kind of the brand that I built my, my business on and, 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 and also shared with other sales teams and the organizations I've worked with. Thank you. So, so if I'm understanding you correctly, it's, it's all about 
expectations and letting them know the motivating reason behind the questions. It's not that you're, I mean, yes, it'll help with the sale, but ultimately it's so you can customize and present what's going to make most sense for them. And I think if I'm understanding you correctly, it's as long as you can make that clear and it, and it's coming from a positive and a good place, that's, that's going to set up your discovery questions so much better than if you were just to, as I said earlier, just kind of interrogate them, which no one likes to be interrogated. No one likes to be asked questions, especially if they already have a wall up. Um, so speaking of wall, when I joined solar city, one of the things that I know you were, um, instrumental in bringing to solar city was something called the credibility wall. And I always thought that was just a clever name for providing credibility for the company, who the company is and what they stand for. And what I didn't realize is there's a story behind the credibility wall. And it's actually quite interesting and it's actually quite literal, uh, a credibility wall. Can you share a little bit about the credibility wall and how that concept came to be and, and why it was so successful at your previous job? Well, yeah, Billy, but the credibility wall became a core process that we went through at Solar City as well. It's uh, Solar City was a, a new company in a new industry, uh, you know, an emerging uh, emerging industry of renewable that a lot of people didn't know much about. And, and many times when we do a presentation at Solar City or even Tesla in the early days, they hadn't heard of us and knew very little about us. And so companies that don't have a track record, uh, there's cynicism about, are they going to stay in business? You know, are they financially strong? Um, who are they? Uh, why are they in business? And so the credibility wall concept was to develop a way that was fun and, inform and informational to share with customers and clients uh, information about your company that created a, a, a credible feel for the customer. It could be financial strength, it could be the why behind the company, uh, but there were a series of things we can do to do a short but impactful overview of who we are in a way that is interesting, but also again, impactful to the customer as to, wow, that's, that's impressive, right? And that's, that's, kind of, that's the kind of company I'd want to do business with, which, by the way, should be part of discovery. Uh, the origins for me of it was um, an organization that I think is one of the best sales organizations of any industries, and that was with Marriott. And they have uh, the art of sales down uh, to uh, a science, and part of their early part of their walkthrough in what they call their sales gallery was the history of the formation of Marriott. And it was a series of photographs, large, uh, you know, four-foot photographs, uh, panel by panel as you walked down and you told their story. But the story was amazing. And even people that I would be with that had stayed at Marriott for 20 years or 15, 10 years often didn't know the background behind the formation of the Marriott story. And so it, I found that if I became extremely polished and I dug into the history of the company and I learned not only what each picture meant, but the history behind the company. I could tell great stories as I walked down that wall with, with a, you know, seven, eight pictures. And I'd start watching what I call bobbleheading. People's heads would start going up and down and smiles would appear in their faces and their heads would tilt and go, wow, I didn't know that. And pretty soon they were bought into the company. When they're bought into the brand, now it's easy to sell the brand because they're already bought into it. So for me, the credibility wall became a really important part of the presentation, whether you're in a sales center 
or whether you're just sitting at a kitchen table and you want to do a credibility wall presentation about your company, you got to find a polished way to do it. It takes practice. You got to practice your craft, just like we talked about, you know, practice in sports. And I would literally practice my credibility wall presentation just by itself over and over and over until I knew how long it took and I'd wordsmith my words and I kind of made a, a, an art of doing this little three-minute, four-minute walk, walk around or two-minute presentation at the kitchen table. So it does require some what I call the three Ps, right? I'm going to practice it and then I'm going to polish it and then I'm going to perfect it. That's, again, part of being really competent in the sales world is practicing your craft. It sounds like it's a common theme that you're sharing, which is you have to relentlessly practice to perfection. I mean, you got to practice, practice, practice over and over and over again. And yeah, polish and perfect it because when it comes down to it, you're, you're competing against others that probably aren't taking the time to practice. It's just like golf, right? Why are there so many hackers out there? Well, probably because they don't have the time or make the time to practice over and over and over again. And those that do take the time and those that build that muscle memory and build the uh, skills to duplicate what they've practiced off the course are going to do that much better on the course. And so it, it stands to reason that the practice that you're putting in in sales has the same benefit as the practice you put into anything, whether that be golf or tennis or hacky sack, those practice moments yield dividends at game time or at the championship for hacky sack, if the case may be. And Billy, what's so cool about it is that yes, now when I go to visualize, I'm visualizing something I know I've already mastered, right? I know I can do it. I've done it in practice a thousand times. So now the visualization part has meaning because I'm visualizing something I know that I'm extremely competent at. They're, they're connected. Yeah, one final thing on that, Billy, about, about over-practicing or practicing to excess. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer in it, but at the same time, the art of mastery, in my opinion, is being able to deliver something that's been practiced and practiced and perfected but to make it look like you're delivering it for the first time. And so there is a little bit of, of salesmanship there or uh, of, of art there in the process of sell of even though you have practiced delivering something many, many times, to that person, it's the first time they've heard it. And so it still has to be fresh and new and, and vibrant to them, even though it's something you've worked on to perfect and, and, and practice many times. I think that's a great point because let's face it, if it sounds scripted, it sounds phony. If it sounds phony or fake, people tune out everything you're going to say. Absolutely. And so it has and that's, to be and that's, and that's, I'm sorry. That's often the case when you watch salespeople. They'll practice something, then they deliver it, and it sounds like they're just yeah. you know, mundanely reading something out of a book, even though they've practiced it 50 times. It's got to be fresh and authentic and, and inspiring every time you deliver it. Completely agree. And, and, and conversational. I mean, it, it natural is, is critical. It, it, the more organic and natural and genuine it comes across, A, because it, it needs to be. It can't, it, you know, not because it, it, it's made to appear that. It needs to be natural. It should be genuine. It should be natural. And that happens through, through the repetition and practicing it so much that it almost becomes that muscle memory that I spoke about. It's like driving a car. Have you ever driven from one point, point A to point B, and then kind of not even realize that you'd 
made that drive. You didn't think about the drive because you'd done it so many times. It just became so, you were on autopilot. And that's where you want to get with sales is where it becomes autopilot, where you don't need to think about it. And then it's about the little touches and the, and the finesses and art. As you said, it's, it really is, it does become an art form at that point. It's autopilot as far as the knowledge and, 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 and the process, but it still has to be new and fresh as far as the delivery. And, and as you're talking about an insight for sales, I think that may one of the, that's one of the key things we've talked about today is the ability to deliver something in an enthusiastic and real and fresh way that you've already delivered a thousand times before. So Blake, the, one of the, I mean, I keep saying this time and time again, because you, you have given me so many, I would just say critical lessons in how to advance myself as a salesperson. And this area is, is no different than the other areas. And that's pipeline management. Something that you shared with me is in the past, you worked for a company that really didn't believe in pipeline management. In fact, they almost advised you against even considering following up with customers. In other words, they were a first call only company where if you made the sale on the first interaction, you were golden. But if you didn't, you washed your hands, you left them and you were done. Talk to me a little bit about how you went to this company that had this philosophy and you changed their entire outlook on what you could do because you actually made them realize that you can follow up with customers and you can actually generate sales as a result of healthy and consistent pipeline management. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story, Billy. I I was working uh, again in an industry that is notorious for hard closing and uh, really pushing people into making a decision on the spot and a high cancellation rate because of that. Uh, nothing, nothing's worse for me as a salesperson than to get that cancellation notice. It always felt like a punch in the gut, you know, knock the wind out of you. And I've never felt myself as being a, quote, high closer or a high pressure closer. In fact, frankly, I never felt myself being in sales. The better I got at sales, the less I felt like I was selling. And so I went to work for this company and I did, I don't need to name the company, but I talked about early on the first month I was there. So what are we doing for follow-up? I had been in an industry uh, in real estate, especially in commercial real estate, where I was um, uh, doing a lot of database management, uh, contacting customers, uh, staying in touch. And sometimes it would take uh, you know a year before your original cold call and you finally got through the gatekeeper to where you were talking to the decision makers and, and working your way through the door. It took a long time sometimes, and I became very practiced and proficient at follow-up and reminders and using CRMs to manage my business. So I went into this company, and I asked them, what kind of CRM do we use? You know, what's our follow-up process? And my manager looked at me, kind of tilted his head, and he goes, we don't have any follow-up. You're not closing. If you have, if you think you need follow-up, you're not closing. <laughs> he, he didn't really phrase it that way, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying it in a nicer way. And, um, and I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, there's situations where people just can't make the decision. Now there's personalities that won't make the decision on the spot. Uh, I I'm, as you know, Billy, I'm really, really enjoy personality profiling and understanding the different type of personalities and how they make decisions. 
and a couple of the personality profiles out there, they won't make a decision on the spot. And then beyond that, there are legitimate situations where people financially or for other reasons can't make the decision right then and there, but yet they're still interested in the product. So, um, so against the company's wishes, uh, I began uh, doing a, a, a follow-up process that I'd implemented in my uh, commercial real estate career and staying in touch with customers. But I did somewhat of a close while they're there. I, I would explain, oh, I understand why you can't do this now, but are you really interested? I don't want to be the guy calling you in a month or two months or six months, annoying you if you're not. But if you are, I'll stay in touch. And if, if, they, if I thought they were just, or if I, if I uncovered that they were just trying to appease me and they really weren't interested, but, you know, we had a good thing going and they didn't want to tell me no, I'd say, no, no, tell me no. If, if, if you're not interested, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not offended by that. But if you have a legitimate reason that you are interested and you just can't do it now, hey, I'll stay in touch. And in doing so, I began to develop a follow-up pipeline that was, it turned out to be very powerful. Uh, I, I increased my sales over the course of a 12-month window of, of over 50%. Uh, and in the, the business I was in, that was enormous. And pretty soon, managers and, and peers alike were coming to me going, what are you doing? And we, we developed a, a follow-up system. And I started training it and explaining it. And um, doesn't mean you don't want to transact a sell if they're there and capable and, and want to move forward. But at the same time, if there, if, if there are reasons where today isn't the right day, uh, then staying in touch made sense. Uh, and that was the approach I took in my business. And um, yeah, I love a one call close. I'm never going to turn around and say, oh, are you sure you don't want to think about it? But, uh, but at the same time, if, if it's not right, right then and in certain personalities, it's better if you don't try to uh, transact on the spot. And uh, you build a lot of rapport and uh, credibility by conducting your sales follow-up business that way. So it sounds to me then that you're, approach your philosophy garnered some attention and it began to almost become viral and people started adopting it. Talk to me a little bit about how that approach has worked at other companies and have you had to change your approach? I know you, you, you're big on drip campaigns and doing things that you know are subtle to allow yourself to just be at top of mind, but can you get a little more tactical and like some of the very specific things that you would do that were part of the strategy? For me, uh, the first thing was to uncover whether it was, there was sincere interest. And if there was sincere interest, then I would, whether I'm in an in-home presentation or whether it's a in-business presentation where I won't see them again and they're, they're now going back home, I would uncover their interest and then set up a follow-up time. And I found that if they were not willing to set up a follow-up time, whether that's a phone call a month from now or uh, because they, the timing isn't right, I mean, you might have someone that says, hey, I, we, our daughter's graduating from college in May and we no longer have college payments. And so now in our budget that works and we'd like to take that money we're spending on college and put it to this product. Great. So I, 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 if I've uncovered that there is a sincere reason, then I'm going to schedule a follow-up time. And scheduling the follow-up time, whether it's uh, uh, three days after a presentation or whether it's three months after a presentation because of a financial change in their life, whatever, um, two things really important about that. One is if they're not willing to schedule that, then in my opinion, their interest isn't as strong as they're telling me. So that's a, that's a way to determine if there is sincere interest. 
do you, do you call that out when when that happens when you when you find out or something perhaps signals that they aren't as interested as they maybe are saying do you call that out do you just make a mental note how do you approach that no i i, I pretty much call it out in a respectful way and and uh well we'll call you blake or um or no don't yeah don't call us we'll call you or no, I'm not really interested in setting the time, but we'll get back with you sometime. That that to me is a, is a is a, a cover up, if you will, of real interest. Um, and so I will I will call it. I'll say, well, it sounds like you're interested, but not interested enough to take an action step when the time is right. So I'll I'll put you in my periodic contact, and that's where I will do a drip campaign. Would you like me to just occasionally stay in touch and let you know of new things, or do you want me just to take you off my active customer list altogether? And so now I'm putting it back on their lap and asking them to tell me what they'd like me to do. And I found that to be incredibly effective because I'm not telling them, they're now telling me. Uh, most of the time at that point, well, not many times they'll say, yeah, well, just take me off your list. Great. I'm, I'm, I'd rather not waste my time calling someone who's not interested. But many times they are interested. And so I'll call them out and I'm trying to get an agreement for our next contact. And that's, I, I think, one of the most important things. The second equally important piece is if you say you're going to call and you don't call, you've lost all credibility. So it, when, I, when I say someone, hey, I'll be calling you in two months, man, you put a reminder in your system, you better be calling them in two months. And when you do, you've furthered that relationship. You've said you're going to do something, now you've done it. And now you've built credibility in your process and you further your connection with that customer. I've got stories where I literally did this for years at a time. And three years later, someone calls me up and goes, Blake, I'm so appreciative of the fact that you've stayed in touch with me like you said you would. We're ready now. And, and there's nothing more rewarding than that. You know, it's a, a transaction falls out of the sky because you took the little time it took to be diligent and stay in touch and do what you said you were going to do. And it's like anything, expectations matter. So if you set the expectation that you're going to call and then you don't call, you've just really tarnished your credibility. So Blake, let's talk about, I think one of your favorite topics and certainly one of my favorite topics, which is referral generation and building a business through word of mouth. It's clearly been something that you've had a incredible amount of success. It's something that if we were to ask anyone that's come in contact with you, tell me something about Blake, they would mention your referral-based business. But well, I don't think everyone knows, and clearly people that don't know you wouldn't have any clue of, is how you did it. What, what was your secret sauce? What was your recipe to build a referral-based business? Man, that's uh, that, a lot of pieces go into that, Billy. I, for me, uh, I learned early on that, um, like almost anyone in sales, that if you have the door open to a, a new contact from someone who has a relationship with them already, one foot in the door, it's an easier sales process and a more fun sales process. So for me, um, it, not only were there a much higher closing percentage, um, but they were just more fun. Um, I, I, I call it hugs in the hallway, whether, whether it was someone who referred a vacationer to come meet with me when they were vacationing from, you know, wintertime and, uh, in the Northeast to Phoenix in the winter. And, and uh, man, they walked in and go, Hey, we're friends with the Joneses. Uh, you know, that was fantastic. Or, or, you know, whether it's uh, a, a in-home presentation where someone opens the door for me to meet someone that's a dear friend of theirs. Um, they were just more fun and, and more fun and higher closing percentage uh, equaled something that I preferred to do. Uh, I found that the conversion rate with referrals was often double those of a cold or a 
a new person that was a lead that was just coming in off the street. From an economic standpoint, uh, it made sense, but from an enjoyment standpoint, it made sense. So once I understood how that worked, it became my target. Hey, if, if I can do something that closes double and is a lot more fun in the process, I'd be crazy not building my business to target that customer. From a business standpoint, it makes a ton of sense because right now in many, many sales arenas, uh, the key differentiator is cost of acquisition what it costs to get a customer in front. And social media has changed that world a lot. Everybody's moving to social media, which is great. I, I think it's fantastic the way social media can generate business leads. But even with that, nothing has supplanted, in my opinion, the hugs in the hallway you get when you meet a referral from someone who really thinks you did an amazing job for them. Can we talk a little bit about that hugs in the hallway? Because it is something that I think resonated with me when I first heard about it. And that is, you're going to have a contact with this person ahead of the interaction or appointment. And in order to get that hug or hug and kiss in the hallway, that in, that initial conversation often over, over the phone is, is vital. Um, talk to me a little bit about that and, and how you would, how you would garner a hug in the hallway after having that initial conversation. Yeah, you know, Billy, it, it's, it's all about uh, doing, doing the extra things, going the extra mile for the referrer customer. Just this week, uh, one of my partners did a presentation. I was with an elderly person and um, asked if there's anything he could do to help them. And they go, what do you mean? He goes, is there anything that uh, I could do while I'm here that would, that would give you a hand that you, you don't have anyone that uh, could help you with something? And she goes, well, I, I did order this thing that's really heavy and, and putting it together would be a pain in the rear, but I'd be embarrassed to ask you to do it. And he goes, no, I'm, I want to help you. And he spent 30 minutes helping her assemble this piece of furniture she'd mail ordered, right? Who does that? And, and, and those kind of extra effort things, uh, how you manage the back end process after sell, uh, you know, showing that you care on the front end, not being the pushy salesperson that is just going for the sell, but rather really understands their buying philosophy. So doing those things that, um, that make the customer feel comfortable and appreciative, what happens with the referral is those all get communicated to the referrer by the referrer, by the referral from the referrer. And so now when I call, I already have a reputation. It's amazing. Oh, Blake, yes, Susan and John told me about you. Um, they really enjoyed the experience. Oh, yeah, I love Susan and John. So now we're talking. We've connected. Uh, how do you do that on a cold call the first time? It's very tough. Uh, not to say it can't be done. But, um, and so by, by that initial call, when I'm not only confirming the appointment, but starting the, the uncovery discovery process, introducing myself, there is a connection that exists right out of the gate that just doesn't exist in a non-referral-based cell. So now we've connected, we've talked, we've, we've talked about our common friend. Uh, we go over to the home to do a presentation. Hi, Blake. It's so great seeing a face finally with the name and with the voice. And it literally can be hugs in the hall with someone you've never met. And, and that referral relationship is really the foundation to which I tried to get all my sales teams to buy into. And I'm proud to say that my, myself and my peers here in Arizona, 
we led the nation in this philosophy and in referral-based business for many years by implementing this approach. Well, yeah, and it stands to reason that you would have that high of a closing percentage when you're walking in the door and you're greeted in that fashion. So it just makes a ton of sense. Let's talk a little bit about the close because clearly if you don't get a customer to say, yes, they want to move forward, ultimately you're going to have a hard time being successful in any sales role. Now there's lots of philosophies on how to quote unquote close. And, you know, I don't even like the term necessarily, but I think for the purposes of just uh, making sure we're speaking the same language, you know, how do we get the customer to sign on the dotted line or to buy the product or to say, yes, they want to give you the business and do it in a way that would allow you to have the highest likelihood that they'll say yes. Man, there's, as you know, Billy, there's uh, countless books and, and, and um, sales experts that, that have a, a you know, myriad philosophy on this, on this question. Um, my personal one is, is a couple really basic things. I, I'm, I'm pretty basic in my approach in almost everything. First of all, I'm early on in the presentation and some, some companies will call this an intent statement or, um, you know, you're, you're paving the path of what you're going to do in a sales process. But I let them know, hey, uh, what I'm going to be looking for today is to see if this is a fit for you. And if it is, I really believe in what we're doing. It's a fantastic product. Uh, I, uh, I can only be promoting things that I do believe in. And if this looks like a great fit, I'm going to invite you to join. So I'm going to pre-frame it early on so that at the end, if it is a fit, now when I ask them to join, it's not really a close. I'm doing what we said we're all going to do to begin with. And, and one of the things there that's very powerful that um, one of my, my, my former sales mentors taught me was um, you do an agreement statement. Uh, sometimes we'll call it permission to proceed. And so when I'm doing that early discussion and telling them what we're going to do today, I'm simply going to ask them, hey, is that fair? Does that work? And when they, when they agree, they've agreed to tell you at the end now whether they're interested or not, whether it is a fit. And so for me, it's not so much a close. It's establishing up front that this is what we're going to do. If it's a fit, I'm going to invite you to join because I think this is amazing. And if it's not, that's okay too. I'm going to thank you for your time. And so setting that up early is critical and then following through it on the backside and simply just asking people, looks like this is an amazing fit. So shall we do it? What do you guys think? I mean, I'm literally going to invite them in a really casual manner um, and, and see what they say. Now, there are two personality styles that I know 90% plus of the time aren't going to do anything right there on that first call. So for them, a little different approach. I'm going to get their feedback and then back away from the close, knowing that they need time to ruminate, analyze, go through their process, and then set up a follow-up time to discuss on a future occasion. So there is a little bit of an art depending on the personality profile there as well. Sounds like personality profile or, you know, and there's, as you know, there's so many different methodologies, but it really comes down to, you know, four general personality types and speaking very kind of generally, of course, and there's variations within each, but you've studied this and it, it is something that is a major component to your approach. Can you talk about that a little bit when you were first introduced to it, how, you, you know, the insight that you had as a result of 
understanding the person first and foremost and, and what makes them tick and how they generally operate? Well, it goes back many years. Probably the first time I was ever exposed to it on a personal level wasn't in sales or business. Uh, it was in my marriage. Um, I was uh, I married a person who really couldn't be much different than I um, or I couldn't be much different than she. And uh, some challenges early on in our marriage took us to talk to some uh, uh, counselors and just kind of how can we get along and because and, we were so different. At that point, we were introduced to a couple different studies. I'll mention one. There's literally dozens of them out there. The Myers-Briggs is one of them I'm sure you've heard of. You know, would you rather be a, uh, would you rather eat a cake or bake a cake? You know, there's no right answer. And they, they ask questions. And then from that, they uh, put you in four different categories of, of personality types. And um, we found it amazing and super helpful for us to, to learn to coexist. I'm, I'm proud to say I've been married 35 years now. So, uh, something along those lines must have helped a little bit. Um, but that was my first exposure to personality profiles. And then in business, uh, there's several of them that uh, I've, I've, uh, I've learned, uh, the Merrill Reed system, the DISC system, uh, there, and there's many, many others. And, and I became interested uh, when, I, when I started wanting to understand why people buy and how they buy. Um, you know, everyone's heard the phrase, if you haven't, it's one of my favorite in sales. And these phrases, as corny and as they can be, there's truth behind them. It's that, uh, you know, people, people don't want to be sold, but they love to buy, right? And it's true. People like to buy things. They just don't want to feel that you're selling them something. So I wanted to understand why people buy and how they buy. And, and that led me down the path of uh, studying uh, rather in, in great detail um, um, the disc profile and the, and the, and the Merrill Reed, you know, driver analytic um, type of analysis of people's personalities. And we're all really different. And yes, you can have a blend of personality traits. And plus, if you're dealing with multiple decision makers, you often have two completely different personality profiles sitting in front of you. But understanding the process and then tailoring your approach to the process not only is it effective, but it feels right to the person sitting across from you. And again, that's, it's about them, not about you. And that's important to realize in the sales process. Yeah, I think we could probably spend another hour just talking about this alone. And so clearly we, we need more time to kind of dive deeper on this front. I'm curious, you know, we get insights from a lot of places. We get insights from mentors. We get insights from books. We get insights from quiet. We get insights from just kind of taking a pause and, and maybe going on a walk. Talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the biggest insights you've had in your sales career, and then follow that with anyone that's been an, an exceptional mentor to you and sharing who those people were and either did they provide you insights or guidance or why is it that they were so valuable to you in your own personal journey and growth and development? I think um, not only for how to make me a better salesperson or how to connect with the customer. But I think one of the most important things that became an insight to me as I developed my career is simply the concept of caring. I got into sales management late in my life. I, I did not want to go into management because I enjoyed selling and I found it to be more lucrative than management at the time. But later on, I went into management and I found I really enjoyed not only sharing what I've learned over a, a couple decades of, of sales, but helping them 
take that information and grow. And that's what I got out of coaching. I'm a coach at heart. I love taking talent and helping mold that talent and opening the door for growth and, and success. And that comes from caring. I think caring would be one of the biggest insights I could put forth in our conversation here, Billy. I managed uh, uh, the top team in, the, in, our, in our company for back-to-back years. And I, I think my caring attitude was probably the separator. I worked so hard with getting them uh, not only ramped up and trained, but then to take it to the next level where they could build that referral network and have the connecting tools that I'm talking about. My wife would often say, gosh, you spend so much time with them. Why don't you just have them move into the spare bedroom? You know, it, it really, it, that was my approach was, was to care enough to, to see the change in their life. And whether you're caring for the customer or caring for your peer, I, I think that's the, that's the secret. As far as my own mentors, I don't have a specific one. I have a, I have a group, I, I, kind of my circle of, my circle of uh, confidence that are four or five people that when I uh, want to run something by them or, or uh, need advice, uh, my father is, is certainly an impactful character in my life. He's one of the best salesmen I've ever known. And I swore I would not go into sales my whole life watching him and, and ultimately did. I mean, he told me I would. But my father's been impactful. I have a, a couple friends that I've known for um, decades that have been in the business, and I'll call them and, and um, connect with them on things that are challenging or just need to run ideas by. So I have a small circle, four or five people of people that I do I do talk to frequently. But again, I'm um, I'm a book reader, Billy, and I I, I I think that most of the things that we want to learn, other people have already discovered and uncovered. And so I'm an avid reader. I, I think that it's all out there. If we want it, we just got to go dig it and find it. And one of the best things I can advise to people is if you can find a way to read regularly, but in short bursts, that's one of the best advices I can, I can pass on. 10, 15 minutes, but do it regularly and pick things that are new and challenging and become disciplined in your learning process and, and books are one of my greatest mentors. You must be looking at my list of questions because I kid you not, the next question on the list is what books do you recommend? And clearly you have a lot of books behind you, but maybe recommend two or three. Um, and I'll piggyback that with my, my final question, which is if somebody came to you and they were just getting started in sales, is their very first sales position. And they said, Blake, give me some advice. One advice, one piece, one piece of advice clearly is to read. But what advice would you give that new person starting off in sales? And maybe what what book recommendations would you give them as well? Uh, the, the advice I would give is find the people that are most successful and see if you can uh, form a relationship to learn from them by by observation. We talked about this earlier, and you know you can talk about learning all day long, but seeing it in action, you pick up so many things that are nuanced. Not only the expertise of knowledge that that person has, but the processes that they're doing, they may not even realize they're doing because they're so practiced and polished at it. I just think observation of excellence is the best way to advance. I would find those key people and see if you can connect with them to the point where they'll allow you to watch, to be involved, to answer questions, and really attach yourself at the hip with the, with the best you can find. And the, the better they are, the more you want to be around them. Because those, those um, secrets of success 
will be infused into your, your world by surrounding yourself with those really top performers. So that would be my advice is find those people. As far as books, um, I'm kind of old school on books and I'm sure there's a lot of great ones. I mean, I, I buy new ones all the time. I've got a whole stack that I, I keep telling myself I'm going to crack open that I'm, I'm constantly reading. I like going back to some of the earliest sales gurus, uh, whether it's Ogmandino or Jim Rome, people that the later sales greats modeled. I've already mentioned, you know, how to win friends. That's not a sales book, but it's a fantastic connection book. I'm a fan of John C. Maxwell, who's written a ton of books on leadership and many, many others. I mean, there's, I have many one-offs where, um, don't have anything to do with sales that I enjoy, enjoy the authorship of. The Tipping Point is a great book that I've read uh, and, and I enjoy virtually everything he's, he's written. I'm not so much a, a particular book I would recommend, but uh, kind of genres of books that I would uh, advise. So my, my, the books I read are divided up into either personal growth. I have a lot of books that are more on the religious spiritual front that I really strongly believe in and I try to keep a steady diet of books on discipline and process, you know, the successful habits of, of uh, seven, seven most successful habits of Stephen Covey. Those kind of books are great, but I don't really have any particular books. It's more of the genre that I just think you need to constantly be, uh, be refreshing your brain with. Couldn't agree more. And Blake, I just got to say what a pleasure it's been. I absolutely owe you a huge debt of gratitude for all that you've taught me and your mentorship and guidance and really being just such a great model to follow and your experience and your ability to share that experience has not only helped me, but literally thousands others. And I hope thousands more as a result of this podcast. So if it's all right, I would love the opportunity to talk again and dive deeper because there's just so much to cover. You and I have had literally hours and hours of conversations throughout our, our friendship. And every time I, I walk away feeling more empowered, more knowledgeable, better equipped, not only to be a better salesperson, but just to be better at life, to be better in my marriage, to be a better connector, to give more and, and not give with the thought of what you're going to get in routine, but to give because that's the right thing to do. I'm just super grateful for our friendship. I'm super grateful for you and, and everything that you've done. Yeah. Thanks for your time today. And thanks for the insights. It's been a, a true pleasure. Well, Billy, you know that I always love our exchanges and our conversations. They've gone we into the night and now they're running for years. So, uh, Anytime you want to talk more, let me know. I love this stuff. And uh, thank you, Billy, for what you're doing. I think that your efforts here are going to truly impact thousands and thousands of people. And, and that's the name of the game is, is changing the world through how you can share the insights of others. So thanks, man. It's awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need 
to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. Ah!